Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and also those of you who uh, may not be members of Gospel Hope, but you follow us online. I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you have been tracking with us over the last few weeks, you know we are in a series entitled In the Waiting. And that series has been built around the book of 1 Thessalonians. And today we reach the final message in that series, which will be brought from verses 12 through 28. That is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. A lot of ground to cover today, so I'm going to dive right into our passage after I pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this morning. And uh, I thank you for those both known and unknown hearts, Lord God, that are being impacted by your word. I thank you for your people who diligently do not forsake the assembling of themselves together, even in this season of abundant caution, who would gather together in their respective homes or whether they be at coffee shops or wherever they are, uh, and even those who gather congregationally here in the building. We thank you, Lord God, for people who place a high premium on gathering around your word. We pray, oh God, that we would be blessed by just, um, Lord God, the signature of your presence, the obviousness, Lord God, of your voice through your word, and that we would be equipped, Lord God, uh, to be better um, tools for you, better servants of you, oh God. You'll be glorified in the outworking of our lives. Uh, make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, now as we walk through um, this word that you have preserved for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, as you heard me say earlier, we're going to be taking a look at this final stretch of text found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me or follow along on the screen. Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good one to another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't know about you, but as I read through that list of final imperatives, uh, my heart begins to palpitate just a little bit. I mean, it, it reminds me just a, a little bit of maybe my first time driving. You remember being behind the wheel for your first time? Uh, you sit there, it should be an exciting experience because you are entering into a new frontier of responsibility and independence, and then your parent or some other person who is coaching and teaching you to drive sits in the passenger seat next to you and hits you with a barrage of directives, right? You just, you, you take, you throw your hands back and you're like, man, I don't know how to turn on the blinker. I don't know where to put my hands. I thought I knew what to do with my feet. I can't even turn on the radio properly, according to this person. And all of a sudden, the excitement 
it seems to be sucked out of the moment because you begin, you're confronted with this idea that, man, I'm not an expert. The lack of expertise robs us of the joy and excitement of this new but yet unknown experience. Did you feel some of that? I mean, look at the, look at the number of imperatives that Paul gives the people. It's, I, I counted a total of 16. Respect those who labor amongst you. Be at peace with one another. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Avoid revenge. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecy. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from evil. Pray for us. Uh, uh, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss and read um, this uh, letter to all the brothers. That was 16 different directives that the Apostle Paul gave us, right? I mean, can you imagine, uh, uh, not only in this book, but virtually every book that we've read has left us with some kind of thing that we're supposed to do. And I want to help our hearts not to be swept away with that negative emotion. Uh, there's another set of emotion that also might accompany us when we realize we don't have all the expertise we need in order to fully uh, follow through on a particular experience. Think about having your first child. Yeah, it's a brand new frontier, but your lack of expertise doesn't rob you of the joy of the experience. It doesn't stop you from moving forward. Think about perhaps uh, purchasing your first house. You've never done it before. You're not a professional homeowner, all right? And so, but the lack of experience or lack of expertise doesn't rob you of the joy of pushing forward any experience. What about getting married, right? Hopefully none of us are professional spouses. The first time we get married, we have no clue what we're doing, but it doesn't rob us of the joy of the experience. We still move toward it joyously, courageously, vivaciously, and confidently to go into that new experience, even though we don't know all that uh, uh, exists for us on the other side of the altar, right? Well, in much the same way, I believe that we as followers of Christ who have this great unknown adventure before us and walking with the Christ should not um, feel anxiety, should not feel undone, should not feel a sense of trepidation because the Bible seems to regularly hit us with a series of imperatives and things that we need to do. And the reason that we should not shy away from having great joy, adventure, and confidence in walking out this life before the Lord as we wait on him and anticipate his presence is because the Lord has already gone ahead of us and done a work. In today's passage, one of the most pivotal portions of the text is found in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You see, those two encouragements there in verses 23 and 24 should remind us of this reality, that we can navigate this life confidently because the Lord is sanctifying us completely. We can navigate this life confidently because the Lord is sanctifying us completely. The Bible has done us a great favor by using marriage as the foremost analogy or illustration of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that we, the church, are the, is the bride of Christ. That being the case, I think it's appropriate for us to think about this within the context of marriage, when we think about how the Lord is sanctifying us. When we think about this work of complete sanctification, I want you to consider three distinct realities that really align with the marriage idea really well. 
He says that the Lord himself will sanctify you, the Lord himself, both your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body. When I think about these things, it reminds me of this, that in Christ, when I read the scriptures, our sanctification represents a definitive change in our legal status, a progressive change in our lifestyle, and a conclusive change in our life's story. For the note takers, I'll say it again. Sanctification involves a definitive change in our legal status, a progressive change in our lifestyle, and a conclusive change in our life's story. And I believe that marriage mirrors a lot of that reality. Consider for just a moment, on the day that a young couple gets married, uh, they exchange their vows. Before the ink is even dry on the marriage certificate at the courthouse, which both legally uh, uh, changes their reality, and the vows are exchanged, which changes their reality before the Lord, their status is undeniably changed. There has been a definitive change in the status of that young married couple. They've gone from being single to married. But unbeknownst to them, not only have they gone from being single to married, but they have now entered into a whole new world of realities that they have not experienced before, neither do they know anything about. They may have glimpses or ideas, but they have yet to have this experience. And there are legal realities that have been changed about them. Well, much the same applies to us as a believer, right? So here it is, the young couple, they're at their first kiss or their first dance or they're giving out their first slice of cake. But then that's just a ceremony. Shortly after that, the definitive legal things begin to change. Someone has to go to the DMV and change their name. Someone has to go out and get their name adjusted on their social security card. Someone or both of them perhaps go to work and for the first time when they're filling out documentation from the HR department, they have to indicate one another as the beneficiaries of their estate at the, you know, per their demise, right? Or on their benefits. They file taxes for the first time and it has definitive implications. You see this? These are some of the definitive legal realities that change when we enter into a marriage that at the moment that we were slicing cake and throwing bouquets and laughing and snapping photos, these legal realities were true in that moment even though they were completely invisible, unknown, and not even considered. Well, much the same applies to our salvation. When we come to know Christ, there is a definitive spiritual shift in our legal status. Before the Lord, the Bible defines the, it, our, one of our changes this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit, legal language, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. When we came to know Christ, there was a definitive act of sanctification that legally changed our inheritance and our identity. 
We moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We went from having no inheritance in the kingdom of God to having a inheritance in the kingdom of God. We went from being orphans to being joint heirs with Christ. There was a legal change in the moment that we placed faith in Christ. And it was a legal change that we did not feel, we did not see, we may not have even theologically understood, nor had we contemplated. But nevertheless, the change was real and it was definitive. So much so is the same about our sanctification. Our inheritance has changed. But not only that, also our sense of innocence. We had a status, a legal status of guilt before God. And the Bible tells us that the Lord is angry with the sinner every single day. But now, a legal change when we come to Christ. One of the legal aspects of our sanctification is that we are now sanctified in Christ. And the Lord now views us as we were are in Christ. Views us with the same innocence as he views his son, which is known as imputation, but it is a compartment or part of our sanctification. But the Bible goes on to tell us not only has our inheritance changed and our status in terms of our innocence having changed, but Romans chapter 6 verse uh, 17 and 18 tell us something else. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This slave language is quite interesting because it looks like, or it tells us, not only does it look like, there has been a change in our legal status that, 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 that someone else is now in charge or in ownership of our lives. So not only have we had a change in inheritance and a change in status or innocence, but we've also had a change in our allegiance. Per the definitive legal change of who we now belong to in Christ or uh, as, as, as followers of Christ, we are told that we now owe our allegiance to the Lord. This is a definitive change. This mirrors perfectly marriage, right? I want you to consider for a moment the young married couple who have had now all these legal definitive changes both before the Lord and before the laws of the land, but they are ignorant of these changes. What does it do? It doesn't change the legal realities, but it does challenge the quality of the relationship if their allegiances don't change from being single and only being aligned with one another to now have, having an allegiance with one to one another to whom they are now married. The same applies for us. These great truths are real, even if we don't realize them, and these great truths of our sanctification in the spirit are even real if we don't rely upon them. And so both our ignorance of them or even our resistance to them doesn't change the definitive fact that this is to what God is holding us accountable. We have had a legal change in status. This is a spiritual work that God has done. All of these things are done, again, regardless of our knowing, regardless of our seeing, regardless of our feeling, and even regardless of our understanding. But the Lord doesn't want us to live in ignorance of these things. This is why the Word of God so beautifully paints a picture and discloses for us the legal change. I want you to consider, if you will, um, how critical it is for us to be informed of the def definitive legal changes that the Lord has made in our lives. These invisible changes, while they are invisible to us, they are critical to us in living out the life that God has called us to live. Um, within past month, within the past month, we celebrated in this country something called Juneteenth. Now, if you know the, the story behind Juneteenth, it is the Emancipation Proclamation was penned in 1863, effectively freeing the slaves. That, free, that freeing work, the signing of the document and the putting it in place, 
occurred totally invisible, unknown, and not even fully understood by the slaves, by the primary beneficiaries. They were totally ignorant of this idea. And then that information was communicated to them and it was executed and it changed their reality. But there was a problem. There were certain slaves who didn't receive the news or the information until two years later, which means for two years, they had been effectively free, but functionally living in bondage. This isn't just a travesty of epic historical proportions. This is a tragedy of also personal proportions. Because when we do not fully understand the reality that we have been legally made free, no longer bound or in bondage or captive to sin, we continue to live captives and hostage to some of the areas in our lives that we struggle with the most. The sins that we don't like, which all sins that we commit, we do enjoy. We just don't like the consequences. But let's just be honest. There are certain sins and certain levels of temptation that are particularly tough for us to kick. We have maybe told ourselves that because this was always in my family, I'm never going to be able to fully get free of this. That's a lie. And we need to further inform ourselves of the truth of the definitive legal change that God has made in our lives so that we don't live like slaves who have been legally free but for two years remain in bondage. Information is powerful. The reality of what is legally so and knowing that is super powerful. And God wants us to know these things. And so... God has done something that is invisible to us, but it is still critical to us. Realizing these truths is critical to rendering ourselves as dead to sin and living free in Christ. And that is one of the initial steps uh, uh, in our sanctification. So when the scriptures say, now may the Lord God, may the Lord, excuse me, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. This is what we're dependent upon. I want you to hear this though. That sanctification, both while it is God's initiative, he's the one making the first move and he continues to move toward us and on our behalf in sanctification. It is also collaborative. So it is God's prerogative and initiative, but it is also a collaborative work. While God has done a definitive legal change, as we said earlier, he's, he's legally done some things definitively that change our status. There is also a progressive work that takes place on the basis of that legal shift in our status. That progressive work is one where there should be a change in my lifestyle. So the Bible says, I prayed that the Lord himself would sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, right? Things that are completely unknown, unseen to you. May your whole soul, right? You, may you be, the areas where you are cognizant, may they also be sanctified and may they also be changed. There is a progressive change in our lifestyle that should take place. Um, now, in order for this progress to take place in our lifestyle, I hope you feel it already that there is a, there, there's two critical components. Number one, I need to be informed of what my new reality is and I need to be infilled with the Holy Spirit so that I can execute on that reality. It, 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 you and I cannot change our lifestyle on our own just by knowing new information. We need the empowerment uh, and the transformation and the reorientation of our desires and appetites in order to follow through and live a life of complete sanctification. And so we need to be informed and we need to be infilled. The word of God is indispensable. I, I don't want to walk in a life that, is, that makes me where I am totally ignorant or totally resistant to the definitive 
promises and principles that God has put in place to affect the believer's life and the quality of my life. I don't want to miss those. I want to experience this progressive shift or change in lifestyle. But let me help you understand something. When we look back at that list of 16 imperatives that Paul placed on the believers there at Thessalonica, and we compile them with all the other principles that the Bible calls us to keep, man, how can one possibly expect us to truly keep all of these rules or these principles? Is it really practical? I think the answer is yes. You see, the answer, it, it seems hard to live up to the imperatives of Scripture when we view uh, or reduce the Christian faith to just a group of rules, a group of do's and do nots. However, there is a relationship here that gives life to them. So when we talk about this, I, I want to I I help you something. We, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 uh, through 10, it says here, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, in these, you too once walked and uh, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. A part of our progressive sanctification, this change in lifestyle, is the things that we put on and put off. So we are informed by God's word, we are infilled by the Holy Spirit, and then we are invited to put certain behaviors on and off. If we're only focused on the behaviors and not the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the information of God's word, we will always lose steam and lose our ability to effectively follow through on a life of sanctification. I remember um, a few years back when um, I traveled on a regular basis, and I will never forget, they, this was during the season where uh, either the airlines, the FCC, or the FAA wanted all electronic devices, regardless of whether or not they had an airplane mode button or not, to be turned off during takeoff. It was, it was just a mandate. And uh, I also remember for those of us who flew, flew frequently, or some who may not, who just didn't care, um, there was always this great tug of war between the flight attendants and passengers. Because we would all say to ourselves, in our hearts, maybe not out loud, that our phones being on is not what's going to cause a plane to crash or it's not going to interfere with the components. That's false or whatever. And so because we all operated in this very self-oriented confidence, uh, we often refuse to turn off our phones or we maybe slid them in our pocket to make it seem as if we were turning off our phones. And I distinctly remember one day uh, as I sat there, because I was one of the disobedient ones, I just viewed the rule as being impractical, so I wasn't going to follow it. And I remember sitting there one day saying to myself, you know what, I'm not just breaking the rules of Delta Airlines or the FAA or the, or the Federal Communications uh, uh, people, FCC. I, that's not what I'm doing. I am actually disobeying and disrespecting Cassandra, Sally, Wilhelmina, or whatever the name of the, of the flight attendant was. This 17-year this veteran of the airline who, who has greeted me with a smile, perhaps helped me with my bag, 
who later on in the flight uh, will bring me a warm cloth to wipe my hands and, to, and my face and bring me a meal as, we, as we're traveling throughout the friendly skies. I, I am actually disrespecting her because she is committed to doing this as her job. This is an expression of her job. And when I begin to see the rules as a reflection of the relationship with her, and do I want to disrespect this person who is just trying to do their best? Do, do I really want to do that? And it, 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 it reinvigorated my commitment to say, you know what? I may not agree, but I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm going to keep my, my, my electronic stowed until uh, uh, the appropriate time. Now, you may be saying, where is this going? Well, where it's going is this. In marriage, if all you've got is rules, and those rules are in a vacuum, disassociated from the person in whom you are in a relationship, it'll be really hard to follow. In, 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 in life with God, if all you see is just this compendium of rules, but you're not able to connect the dots to how they are an actual expression uh, of the reality of God's character, you're going to have a hard time following the imperatives of Scripture. It, it, you, you have a hard time. Let, let's stay with the marriage initiative for just, uh, the marriage illustration for just a moment. Consider, if you will, if you just viewed adultery as a technical nuance or a no-no in marriage, as opposed to an actual uh, defamy to the person to whom you are married. You see the difference in the strength of keeping that? Uh, uh, imagine, if you will, if you just viewed cooking dinner every once in a while as just one among many of your spousely chores, as opposed to it is an expression of relationship to care for the family to whom God has made you a part or with whom God has made you a part. You see how relationship enlivens rules? Well, the beauty of the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer is it helps us connect the dots with the commandments and the character of God. So when we see a directive or an imperative in scripture, it is the Holy Ghost who is actually helping us to see that this is one among many ways in which you flesh out the character of Christ and to which you are being conformed to the image of Christ. Sanctification, I'll put it this way in closing, sanctification is a call to model the reality of Christ and not just be moral robots. Sanctification is a call to model the reality of Christ, what it means to be in Christ, to what it means to look like Christ, what it means to model Christ in all of the moments where we find ourselves with strangers, with employers, uh, with antagonists, with spouses, with brothers, with sisters, with church members. Uh, all of the spaces where we find ourselves where there could be innumerable, uh, uh, an innumerable uh, uh, amount of rules of engagement, what we're really doing at the core is living a sanctified life because I just want to reflect Christ. I want to model Christ in this moment and not just be a moral robot operating off of a Christian program or algorithm. And so let sanctification change our lifestyle in that way. Full dependency upon the Holy Spirit to help me see how the rules of Scripture, if you will, or the principles of Scripture are actually a projection of the character of Christ as I'm being conformed to his image. Paul says something else. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be kept blameless. The body is not a throwaway, right? I know we think of our bodies as this portion of us that has been ruined and marred by sin and it'll, it'll wrinkle, it'll expire, and it'll die, but our bodies are not negligible. 
believe one of the foremost reasons that the Lord Jesus's resurrection is bodily and not ghostly is because it is a declaration of God's intent to even redeem the physical body and not just man's spirit and soul. But when you look here, we said that there has been a definitive change in the legal status of the believer per sanctification. There is a progressive uh, change in lifestyle, but there's also a conclusive change in my life story, a conclusive change in my life story. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us some beautiful language to appreciate this conclusive change in life story here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. One of the conclusive changes to my life story is this. When we, when we come to know Christ, we have been bought with a price. We have been bought with a price. Then if I have been bought with a price and I'm no longer my own, I ought to live in a way that glorifies the owner. I ought to live in a way that glorifies the owner. Uh, we have been not only paid for, according to the scriptures, but we have been promised more. We have been promised much more than what this life has to offer. Look at the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 53. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass what the, what's the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see, the, the conclusive change in the believer's life story is number one, we've been paid for, but number two, we've been promised more. And because we have been promised more, we ought to lunge toward the finish line, lunge toward the prize. The way we live should be reflective of a lunging toward the finish. In other words, we are not trying to back away from the finish line. We're not so fearful and frightful of the deterioration of our physical bodies and the ultimate day of our death. You see, we're moving toward that robustly because we've been promised more than what this life has to offer. Uh, Paul would put it this way uh, as he would express his commitment to lunge toward the finish line, leaning in as he finishes the race, not backing up and saying, oh no, here comes the end. He says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 14, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have laid hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ. He views the end of life as a prize. And because believers have been purchased, uh, have been paid for, and have been promised more, we can live like that. But there's something else that we do. We can also live a life that is poured out. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out, I may be proud that I did not run in vain. Even if I am poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you shall be glad and rejoice with me. There are three realities that mark how we should view the eventual sanctification of these bodies. That is what we will give up this body, which is not fit to, 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 to fill or to, 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 to enter into eternity. And we will gain a new body. Who we are and what we are has been paid for. 
we have been promised more. So we don't live with reckless abandon per se, but knowing that the Lord will replace this body, we don't have to live with this uh, uber commitment to try to preserve this body. Idolizing, trying to live longer, live safely, and, and to do all kinds of things to grip hold of this life because our life looks like, uh, or our death in this life looks like a comma and not a period. In other words, the larger part of the story is being told after our death, not at the point of our death. We are being poured out. We are being poured out. Our death is a comma and not a period. And when we grab hold of that truth, it will challenge the way we live. And the sanctification that we experience in this body will look more like, it will look less like just keeping rules. We'll do that. But we will understand that we are trying to align ourselves with sacrificial service, to pour ourselves out for the benefit of others. I hope that sounds familiar because we saw the Lord Jesus Christ show us exactly what that looks like. He poured himself out. He expended his life for the sake of others. Sacrificial service. His very body was given for the benefit of those who would place faith in him. This is the beautiful portrait of the gospel. We are being further conformed to the Lord's image, which means in some respect, our bodies too should be used up for the Lord's service. No, we're not going to be anyone's savior, but there is a degree of sacrificial service to which these bodies should commit themselves because we recognize that we're not just trying to preserve these bodies. We're trying to prepare for the next body in the way that we live. These realities of having been uh, sanctified in the Lord, spirit, soul, and body completely, should give us the courage to navigate this life vigorously. We've been talking throughout this series about in the waiting, and it would seem as if maybe the word waiting would suggest that we're just kind of parked and waiting for the Lord to come and pick us up. But the reality is the believer's life should be a vigorous wait. Our waiting is not one of a succession of work, but it is diligent labor, serving and projecting and modeling the, the, the beauty of Christ in every aspect and area of life, attracting attention to our Lord, allowing the gospel to not only be spoken with our lips, but to also be shown and modeled with our lives. This is what sanctification looks like. I used to erroneously use the illustration of a china cabinet to define or to project sanctification. And I believe that there are some truths still resident there, but follow me carefully. Sanctification, I used to define it this way. There's this group of special dishes that I have at my home that have been cleaned and propped up and put in a special display cabinet that only get used on special occasions. And when they do get used on those special occasions, they're immediately washed, polished, dried off, and put back in their special display case. And I would sometimes view sanctification like that. It's this special set aside, reserved people for special occasions. But I think that that China cabinet illustration really ill-equips us to appreciate the kind of vigorous, dynamic, confident lifestyle that the Lord wants us to live. 
I believe that the appropriate illustration are, is more like the utensils used by a surgeon. A master surgeon having all knowledge of how each tool is best used during surgery and all of his procedures. He sanctifies them every day. After every procedure, they are always sterilized and they are always clean. And he knows how to use each one of them per the various situations that they encounter. Regardless of what the procedure, regardless of the person, regardless of the date and the time, the surgeon always masterfully knows how to use each one of those tools at his disposal. And those tools, those utensils, those scalpels, those other uh, suits, those various things that the doctor uses have been and are being sanctified. How? They are sanctified because he sterilizes them. They are clean. They are sanctified because he is the one who is uniquely using them, because he's a doctor and not the others. They are sanctified because the reasons that they exist not only are uniquely expressed in his hands, but they show unique value when they are working within the body. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not dishes in a china cabinet waiting for God to come pick you up because you are beautifully and perfectly and cleanly displayed, but you are surgical instruments in the hands of the Father designed to do beautiful work in the body of Christ. Let us celebrate God and while we are in the waiting for him to use us, and we can do this waiting confidently because the Lord is sanctifying us completely. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're thankful to you this day for your great work for, uh, Lord God, just the eternal voice uh, of your word, perpetually relevant. We thank you for the truth of your gospel. Lord God, we thank you for the vigor of your Holy Spirit. And we ask now that we as your people will be even more further equipped to step out and do life in uncharted waters. We don't have expertise, oh God, with COVID-19 or pandemics. But don't, Lord, we pray that that lack of expertise would not rob us of the joy of experiencing your sanctification in this season as we courageously live life. Lord God, we don't have experience, not definitive experience or expertise, Lord God, with uh, the issues of racial unrest, Heavenly Father. But please, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of the definitive truths that you've set in motion, the change in status and the, the progressive change in lifestyle and the change in story so that we are not, again, fearful or trepidatious about this new waters in which we are walking because our lack of expertise is irrelevant because we, are, we have a God who knows all things. So, Lord God, um, help us to walk this life out vigorously as we wait for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.